Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about growth. Growth is a key element of any business strategy, but for fintechs last few years, this has been the number one buzzword, right? And you could also say whether you're an investor or a founder that sometimes businesses were chasing growth at any cost. But now I guess the times are going to be different. So that's why we're going to talk to Shamir, who's based in the UK, and he helps fintechs to grow uh, sustainably. We'll talk about digital marketing. We'll talk about growth strategies. And I'm looking forward to find out more. So uh, welcome, Shamir. How are you today? I'm great. Great, Rudy. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. So how does one become a growth expert as you are? How did you get to do what you do these days? Yeah, I'll give you the short version of the story. My background is in financial services. I was an equity broker for a number of years. Um, Eventually, I moved from the sales side over to the marketing side at a financial trading platform. So spread betting and CFDs, which is probably one of the first generations of fintech. And I helped grow their marketing department and helped grow their UK entity quite significantly over the five years that I was after doing my tenure there. I then decided to set up Growth Gorilla. So we've been around since 2017 and we've been working with fintechs ever since. Brilliant. So you started with marketing for derivatives, really, which is great. These stand for contracts for difference, right? And maybe there are some similarities to some areas of fintech or fintech in general. We'll see whether this pans out this way or not, right? When uh, people started using derivatives first, in some countries, the regulators were quite hesitant to allow them because they didn't have a capacity to regulate them. So same thing may happen with fintech or blockchain and cryptos. Great that you were involved in these early categories of finance that have now became completely mainstream, right? If you're trading, you use derivatives, just like you use leverage, why not? So as I mentioned at the beginning, I think that growth at any cost is behind us. And it's been the case already for a while. You can argue why is that the case? Now, perhaps with interest rates rising around the world, the money is not free. Inflation, war, energy crisis, all of this obviously puts more pressure on businesses that are trying to lift off. So how do you help fintechs to grow profitably and sustainably rather than just saying we have another million users this month, but we've lost $15 million from our investors, but don't worry about it. We'll tell you more about profit in five years. Yeah, I think, I mean, that that kind of goes all the way back to when I was marketing director at the online trading platform. We we weren't VC backed. We had to... um, driving users at a low enough CAC, lower than their ARPU, and create profitability. So it brings me back down to my roots, really. I think core things that help us to deliver profitably and sustainably, as you've said, it goes down to one key thing, which I think is massively overlooked. It's, it's There's no 
magic really. What it boils down to is having really good tracking and really good analytics and then actually looking at your data. If you're not tracking what users are doing on your website, if you're not tracking where users are coming, if you're not tracking what you know what they're depositing or what value they're bringing to your company, then you're really just spending money blindly at that place at that point. I've spoken with CMOs of some of the most well-known fintechs. Uh, it's undeniable that the common trait amongst all of them is that they really value their tracking and their analytics. So I think that'd kind of be my first first key thing of going to any organization, just making sure that they've got a really robust tracking set up in place. And then from that, it then boils down to, and then moves on to looking at who your target customer is and thinking about where can you find your customers first and foremost, and then second of all, where can you find those customers when they have the highest intent? To give you an example, forms like Google search, where people are actively searching for solutions to their problem, they're going to have a huge amount of intent versus say putting ads in front of them on Facebook, where you're interrupting their day, and you're trying to educate them on your proposition they're going to have a lot lower intent. So I think the difference between where we were driving growth for growth's sake versus now driving growth profitably, you need to be really be thinking about a user intent. One of my clients talks about what she calls the marketing onion. Her name's Cal Graham. I'm not going to take credit for it. And fundamentally, it's thinking about, you think about the layers of an onion and as you get to the core, that's where your highest intent users are. Start from there and then work your way out afterwards. And really, that's how your budget should be distributed as well. There's nothing wrong with doing boring marketing if it's driving ROI. And then there's other things that you can add on to that as well. Just thinking about the user journey, as you move into this thought about profitability and not just people signing up, we think about actually activating customers and really driving referrals from them. So your CRM piece becomes really important at that point. It's not just about getting people onto the platform it's about getting people to use the platform it's about retaining those users then upselling cross-selling and your crm piece comes into play there and then just to reiterate again leveraging all of that data throughout the entire funnel you should be looking at if you are running campaigns across say facebook and google you should be looking at which of those users are driving the most revenue for you as a business and then how does that compare to their acquisition cost as well? So yeah, it's moving away from, like you said, just driving users for sign up and then just thinking about how can you bring them in with the highest intent and therefore they're going to be the users that drive revenue for you and ultimately profitability. So I hear a couple of keywords here. First of all, analytics. And I think that's in line with uh, what I would say should be always the philosophy when you are growing a business. And when you have a startup, a startup, I heard someone say it's a learning vehicle. So you go from one milestone to another. But of course, you don't throw all your money at this at, in one go, but you're trying to learn from that phase and then adjust accordingly. But you need to have some analytics to figure out which channels work. So in your case, if you say we're using a marketing campaign across different social media platforms, you need to be tracking where this works and where it doesn't, right? And you could be quite surprised. And then secondly, I think what you said is likes and signups are nice, but what about user intent? Are they customers that are willing and able to pay for that service? So I think analytics and user intent, I think this has been great messages you mentioned here, but when you take it further a bit more widely, 
obviously not always this works as a straight line or maybe never, right? So what are the crucial takeaways from designing a growth strategy that you have learned working with your clients? Yeah, to be honest, it goes back to that first point. One of the biggest things is that, you know, like you said, the marketing tactics, strategies, approaches, campaigns, they don't necessarily always work. But how do you determine what works and what doesn't? You need, it needs to be underpinned by success metrics and therefore data. So again, biggest takeaway or biggest takeaway really is making sure you've got that solid foundation of tracking data and reporting in place. And from that, you can make decisions about everything. Additionally, moving on to the softer stuff, one of the other things that we really need to think about is having a really clear value proposition and being really clear on what your messaging is. What is the actual problem that you're solving for your end user, whether it's B2C or B2B? And if you're not clear on that, there's nothing wrong with that. Make sure you're speaking to your customers to to really understand that, understand why they're using your product and understand why they're using your platform. So really simple thing to do, run surveys regularly at all points in your funnel for people who are who are signing up. So not just those that are happy customers, but also for those that are defecting, those ones that have left, being really clear about every point of your customer journey and what people like and what people don't like. I think the other sort of two things really is let's talk about the P and the M in, in, in product market fit. Product is hugely important. As much as we can do in marketing, if we've got all the data there and we've selected the right channels, we've got the right message in front of the customer, but then we deliver them into a journey that isn't fit for purpose and there's too much friction there, then you know all of that money that you're spending at the, at the upper end of the funnel is fundamentally being wasted. So the other sort of big takeaway is, and I think this is really apt for where we are at the moment, we all talked a lot about product market fit and we spent a lot of time talking about the P, the product, but I think everyone forgot that the market isn't a constant. It's variable. It can change. And with the market changing, it therefore means that your product may need to change as well. So you need to be mindful of reading the market and what your customers want. And therefore that can then impact your message. It can impact the features on your product. It can impact the audience that you're going after. It can impact the use cases that you're putting in front of your customers as well. So really think about where the market is right now and what do you need to do to adapt in order to make your product successful. Understood. So even the best marketing plan will not help you if your product is not something that people actually need. And now let's move on and maybe dig into this a little bit more because you were talking about the growth strategies using online marketing to grow. But how can fintechs create a robust marketing plan on a budget? These days in Europe, getting a VC funding, it's better than it's ever been, even though we are going through some tough times. But still, when you're just starting off, how can you create a marketing plan on a budget? And maybe for thinking down the line, should you try to build a B2C brand or are you better off to go through a B2B route? Yeah, let's talk about the B2B route or the B2C route. If it's the debate between should one go out there and acquire customers directly or should one partner up with a, another brand and do a partnership and acquire users that way? I think the reality is that you actually 
you probably need to do both. If you're partnering with another brand that has a very similar or the same customer base, you'll get an intro, but it's it's never as easy as it sounds on paper. It's not, hey, let's do a partnership and let's add a button into your platform and send a few emails and your users will come over, come over in droves and start using our platform. That doesn't really happen. You need to seed that and you need to support that with additional messaging and awareness of your proposition in order to make that happen. So you still need to some degree build a B2C brand. Otherwise, you're not creating that trust factor and that credibility with your partner's audience that you are doing both. And I think it's sensible for any brand to be doing that. How do you then create that 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 marketing piece on a budget? And that really boils down to being really clear on who your target customer is. So if we're talking early stage businesses, maybe a big seed, 10 million plus or a series A, you're at that stage where you are beginning to acquire customers and you're on that, the early part of that growth, the growth stage and that scale up stage. There's no medals for trying to become or trying to serve every single user. And there's nothing wrong with going after one particular area of the market. One of our clients, for example, they had a not quite a broad approach they had a a specific audience they were going after but even within that audience they found that a particular ethnicity actually had you know a big alignment to their product so they focused really hard on becoming the go-to provider for that particular audience and that became the reason why they got their next round of funding they hit their targets and now they're on their way to becoming a profitable business if you create if you're on a budget be really focused on your audience um, and then with that think about where the intent lies with that particular audience so going back to what I was saying earlier on if you align that intent piece with that niche audience along with a really clear value proposition you can really stretch your budget. And then really it becomes about how you're going to distribute that budget and over what channels. All right. So let's talk about some bits and pieces that are related to it, right? That sometimes you need to decide whether you should use or not. For example, does one still need a website to promote their business? What what do you think? Are you helping really, clients really, with designing websites? So really short answer here. Yes, you need a website. It doesn't necessarily need to be the world's biggest website, but yeah, think about your buying journey. If you see a, an app being advertised or recommended, what's the first thing that you do? You'll either search on Google or you'll go onto your app store and you'll take a look. But at some point in your journey, especially early on, you're going to go onto a website and you want to see all of those trust factors. You want to be, you understand what the product does, who it's for, what the cost is. You're looking for reviews, testimonials, social proof to make you feel comfortable with then signing up and then using the product whether or not it's a mobile app, whether it's a web-based app or both. A- absolutely, 100%. I think also some someone once told me that you need it because you want to protect your own narrative and a message. And maybe if you're just writing on Medium or on a stack, etc., or Substack, then they can take you down maybe, right? If you stop paying a subscription or what have you. Yeah, look, be honest, when we, as a business, if you're B2B, what's the first thing that you do? Google the company, you jump onto their website. If we get an inquiry coming in from a brand that doesn't have a website, very likely we're not going to engage with you. We don't design and build websites, but it doesn't take much to, to spin up a couple of pages. So what are the best marketing tools that you focus on? And what I have in mind is either we talk about ads on social media platforms, 
So digital marketing or SEO, search engine optimization or PR or all of the above or something else, what would you focus on? That really depends upon your target audience and a couple of other factors. So your target audience, the your budget, and then also really your payback period as well and how quickly you need to monetize that audience. So to give you an idea, if you need to get your, if you need to start earning on your acquisitions, let me rephrase that. If you need to get ROI on your budget as quickly as possible, then paid channels is going to be your answer because you need to get people into your funnel, through the funnel, and utilizing your platform as soon as possible and then generating revenue for them. As you move further along the journey, you may then decide that actually you can look to invest in things like SEO because that obviously takes a lot more time to get those get that tendency on Google to get into the search ranks. And so therefore, you could be spending a reasonable amount of money before you start seeing immediate conversions from that investment. It's not to say that you shouldn't do it. And I think if your budget allows, you should be investing into it as early on as possible. Um, but then going on to your target audience, again, it really just depends who they are. I'll give you extremes. For one client, we were targeting for a money remittance company with two distinct ethnic audiences. So we took a very sort of location-based approach as to how we would get in front of them. And the channel mix was TV, out of home, digital, so pay media and influencer marketing. It was the best way that we could identify that audience and be really laser focused on reaching, reaching them and getting in front of them. Conversely, we've got a, trading, a couple of trading platforms. Google search is the go-to platform for both of those because there's intent there. There's already education about the about the, the instruments that, that they've got on their platforms. So ETFs, spread betting, CFDs. And really at that point, it's a competition versus share a wallet. So best place to go there to get the best and lowest CAC is going to be, is going to be Google. So it really just does depend upon the target audience, your budget, how quickly, as I said, you need payback. And then also to a degree as well, what, where your business is in, in its life cycle. If you're very early on, you have very little brand awareness, you then have a decision to make on whether or not you want to put your money into driving brand awareness or whether or not you just want to focus on more direct marketing. So let's dive into the social media a little bit. You already mentioned that before that you are advising or helping your clients to identify the user intent, right? You don't chase the growth or likes for the sake of it but because you are helping them to find paying customers. So if we talk about example of the recent World Cup, I've seen that Messi's picture with a trophy apparently is the most liked social media or Instagram at least most ever with 42 million likes. So how do you turn this into money actually? How do you drive this con conversion from likes to sales? So I think... Uh, in, in I think probably the best way to approach this is actually looking at it from a B2B perspective. I think it's a, a lot easier to turn likes into sales for a B2B organization because B2B marketing is all about demand generation. It's about creating awareness of your product with the right audience, putting the right content out and becoming front of mind. And then when, the, when that audience is looking for your product, you capture them on intent with things like Google search. On B2C, you know, take a look at the best example really is probably out there is probably Monzo. They make the effort to not just post a lot and get those likes, but actually then engage with their audience as well. So they're moving their users down the funnel by posting consistently. So they're creating awareness and then they're then creating consideration by engaging with their audience. Um, and then they occupy a space in their user's mind or their potential user's mind. 
And then once you've done that, really you have to then rely on other marketing activity to take them from that point of consideration into conversion. And then you have to then use channels like a paid PR influencer to, to push them down the funnel. So yeah, if you want to turn those likes into sales, first you need to turn those likes into engagement and community and advocates. And then from there, you can turn those those members of those audiences into actual users of your product. Got it. So let's talk about some success stories and paint the picture, right? Who are your key clients and how do they differ? You mentioned examples of Monza, etc. But what is your experience? Yeah, so look, we've worked with well over 30 fintechs over the last couple of years. I don't like I don't want to use the term key clients because that might imply that I've got favorites but the some of the more more right um, randomly selected all right yeah some of the more let's call them the ones that make for dinner conversation I think we've had a huge amount of success with one of our clients called Way Home they're developing a proposition called gradual home ownership that is disrupting the mortgage market that's been a really interesting client to work with because there was lots of little factors in, in, in helping them launch their proposition. They started off with, we were only able to target maybe four or five locations in the, because their product aligns to specific properties that they can purchase. So we had to focus on a very sort of local basis, but now we're sort of, we're targeting about 70, 75% of postcodes across the UK. And, and for them, it's been a mixture of paid search, for the intent-based stuff and Facebook for the for the more sort of niche audiences like the the audiences that they focus on ethnicity and then audiences like self-employed, for example. So that's been really interesting to to work on. And they they've been great to work with as a client because they're really data-led, they're experimental, but not they're always willing to test something new, which is super important. So they're not they're not getting they're not getting complacent. And then they've also got a big focus on their CRM piece as well. Acquisition is the main point of conversation with them, but equally as well, they don't neglect activating their users and they really want to get the absolute most out of their customer base and really stretch their investment. That makes it it makes our job really easy to be honest with you, because then you've got a client who's bought in wholly and fully and we've been working with them for yeah, two years this month, actually. And we've seen them from launch their first campaigns out to now where they've got their Series A. Yeah, and it's been super successful for them. Other more, other interesting sort of clients I've been working with, crypto trading platform called Change. Crypto is notoriously hard to market because of the restrictions that you have, not only from a, a regulatory perspective, but then you also have restrictions on a platform level as well. If you're not regulated in the right region, you can't use certain platforms and it's like threading a needle. But with change, again, they were really focused on the numbers. Their CMO, the CMO over there, Olga, was fantastic to work with. And we took them from targeting two countries. I think it was like Latvia and Estonia. And we're now across 26 different countries across Europe. And the number of users that we've acquired for them has been well into six figures. And again, that was a combination of managing the right channels for the right locations with the right message, and then just really being on top of the numbers and then using profitable regions to see growth in new regions, which was really quite a challenge, but that was a huge success for us. And that, that's led us on to doing some really interesting stuff. So we've got a Canadian-based crypto lending platform. Can't, can't say too much, but we're doing some really interesting stuff with them. So we're helping them to launch into several new territories. And again, they've taken the right approach. They've, taken, they've got a big focus on data and numbers, really invested into doing high-quality customer research, which makes our job really. And again, they're not, they don't have a fixed mindset. So we're 
able to put ideas in front of them, which means that opens up lots and lots of doors and avenues for us testing out new channels, regions, messages. And we've started working with them in the last six months or so. So it's still early stages, but it's certainly looking fruitful. All right, great stuff. So to wrap up, I just want to ask you, what's the best way to reach out and find out more about what you do and how you help fintechs to grow? Yeah, a couple of ways that you can reach out to me. So if you want to reach out to me directly, connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Shamir Sachdev. If you manage to spell that correctly, you'll find there's only one of me. In the absence of bringing my name, you can always just jump onto our website, growthgorilla.co.uk, and you can either ping us an email or fill out a contact us form. And just mention that you've you heard me on the Voice of Fintech podcast and be happy to have a chat. Great stuff. Good luck to you, Shamir, and thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.